Our scripture this morning comes from Psalm 130. Listen now to the word of the Lord. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a secret of sin, a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can with reverence serve you. I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord, more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. And this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So perhaps the worst movie I have ever seen in my entire life is a movie called Open Water. Has anybody seen Open Water? Somebody in the first service had and they loved it and I had to apologize to them afterwards. <laughs> it was made in 2003 about a couple that goes scuba diving and their boat leaves them and they're left out in the middle of the sea in open water. Literally, the rest of the movie is them floating out in the deep sea all by themselves until eventually they get eaten by sharks. And that's the end of the movie. While it is a terrible movie when it comes to just being entertained, at least in my opinion, it's actually a pretty good example of a universal human condition. The psalmist begins... Psalm 130 by saying, out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. The movie Open Water portrays this reality of life in the depths. The couple was completely lost with absolutely no hope of saving themselves. From almost the very beginning of our story, we humans have been in the depths. In the story of Adam and Eve's eating of the fruit, God comes to them and asks them a question. He says, where are you? Out of fear from the consequences of their actions, they're hiding from God. They're filled with the guilt of their sin and utterly unable to help themselves. They were in the deep unable to save themselves from their own sinfulness. The past several weeks, we have focused on the Easter story. The story of Jesus defeating death itself. Defeating the forces of wickedness. Next week is Confirmation Sunday. We're going to ask the Confirmands a series of questions, including, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness? And do you accept the power given to you to resist evil and injustice? You here, if you are a baptized believer in Jesus, you have answered these questions in some form or another with yes. And so having claimed this story for ourselves, the Easter story of death being defeated, we've been rescued from the deep. Right? 
So if we have indeed been redeemed, we no longer have a need for psalms like Psalm 130, right? Because you and I are no longer in the deep, right? You're getting less sure of yourselves out there. Let's take a quick look at a few stories from Scripture of characters in the Bible that might have had this kind of thinking. First, King David. He was called a man after God's own heart. When the prophet Nathan comes to him, he brings a story about a rich man. This man who had everything. And he had stolen the only little sheep that his poor neighbor had. David condemns the man. He's enraged. How could he do such a thing? Then he's shocked to learn that the story is actually a parable to show David about his own sinful actions with Bathsheba. See, David was quick to recognize the sin when it was framed in the life of someone else. But he had been blind to his own sinfulness. David didn't know it, but indeed he was in the deep. Next, let's remember the Apostle Paul. Before he was confronted by the the resurrected Jesus on his travels to Damascus, Paul, then referred to as Saul, was a zealous Jew, believing his actions to be exactly what God wanted from him. He believed he was serving God. Before Jesus blinded him on the road to Damascus, he had already been blind to his own sinfulness. And the fact that he too was in the deep. Jesus is keenly aware that humans are often blind to our own sinfulness, while also often really good at spotting them in others. Remember this parable he tells in Luke chapter 18. Jesus says this, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. So while the Pharisee was thanking God that he was not in the deep like the other people, he didn't realize that indeed he was drowning in the deep, deep waters of his own sin. These three stories show us that we humans are really bad at recognizing our own sin. All three of these stories, these seemingly unconnected characters from Old Testament and New, portray the same reality of the human condition. Even those who have committed themselves to following God can be so convinced of their own righteousness that they lose sight of their own sin. 
Seeing a reality like this portrayed in Scripture should force us to examine ourselves in more intentional ways. Now, I've been reading this book series with my daughter for quite a while called A Series of Unfortunate Events. Has anybody read these books? I'm seeing some out there. Yes. So there's 13 of these books, and we have finally made it through book 11. Almost all of the stories in each of them are exactly the same. But in the story, there are three children who have inherited a huge fortune from their parents. And there are these bad guys that are constantly coming up with ridiculous schemes to try to steal that fortune. For the first ten books, it's clear who is good, the children, and who is bad, these bad guys. Yeah. But in book 11, in book 11, the characters meet one of the bad guys. And they end up having a conversation where the bad guy explains a little bit more about why he does what he does. And in the end, the bad guy says that it isn't as simple as there being bad guys and good guys. That life is more complex than that. And that all people are capable of good and bad. On the one hand, it would be much simpler if there was just a list of good guys and bad guys. A list that told us who was in the deep and who was safe. But on the other hand, I'm not so sure we want that. If there was a list such as this, perhaps we would all be on the same side. The psalmist writes in Psalm 130, verse 3, If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? And actually, John Wesley goes a step further than this. See, Methodist and Calvinist theologies have some very important distinctions, but they also have some places they overlap. John Wesley affirmed what in church lingo we refer to as total depravity, meaning that every part of our human nature has been corrupted by sin leaving us completely unable to save ourselves. Our nature has been totally depraved. Essentially, in children's book terms, we are all the bad guys. Our sin, even sin we might not be aware of, places us in the deep and in the need of psalms like Psalm 130, which has cries from the deep for forgiveness. Now the first couple of verses of this psalm are all about location. The location of the psalmist. And I suggest this morning also the location of all humanity. You and I. And that location is in the deep. Whether we know it or not. And so I want to invite you to, to do something with me this morning. If you too, like myself, are convinced of your own position in the deep, along with the psalmist, along with David and Saul and the Pharisee from the story, I invite you to read this psalm aloud with me in pieces. In becoming aware of his location, the psalmist is begging to be heard. 
Let's beg along with him. Out of the depths, I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? And after verse 3, the tone changes a little bit. See, in verse 3, it's this cry out of the deep. It's this plea for help. But now it changes in verse 4 to a confidence. A confidence about what is coming. That God is not only able to save him from his sinfulness, but indeed that he will. Let's join in with that same confidence. But with you, there is forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, serve you. And now there's a shift from a confidence about what God will indeed do to what the psalmist will do because of that confidence in God. And so if you share that confidence about what God is doing for you, join in with me with verses 5 and 6. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in His Word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. No, that is not a typo in the slides this morning. There is a repeated line in this psalm. As I reflected on this psalm throughout the week, this actually became my favorite part for, for two main reasons. First, the image that it uses of a watchman, of a guard out on a wall looking out, protecting a city to know when trouble's coming, but also watching for first light so they can announce the beginning of a new day and the hope that it brings. They're watching for dawn to break. That's our position. We are waiting on Jesus. The watchman would announce the trouble of the night is over and the hope of the light has come. This is a great image of our state as we're called to keep watch against our own sinfulness knowing the light is coming, and with it, the hope of our salvation. And I also really like this line because of what it does poetically. The Psalms are poems after all. This repeated line produces the very feeling it's portraying. Hearing the same line repeated forces you to wait just a little bit longer for what's coming next. It forces the hearer of the psalm to wait. This great psalm now turns from the individual, we're no longer just talking about I, to the communal. The psalmist is not only concerned with his own sin, but the sin of the community in which he lives. Read along with me now. Israel... Put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with Him is full redemption. He Himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. There's a really interesting note in the Wesley Study Bible about 
John Wesley and this psalm. It says this, In his journal, John Wesley describes hearing a choir at St. Paul's Cathedral singing this psalm on May 24th, 1738, just hours before he felt his heart strangely warmed at Aldersgate Street. Now, if you aren't familiar with the story of John Wesley, he began a movement called Methodism. And if you watch Jeopardy on delay, that was one of the questions this week, so you'll get one right. For a long time, Wesley was conflicted, never quite convinced that he had been indeed saved by God from his sin. But on this day, just hours after hearing this psalm sung by a choir, he says this, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. Man, this sounds a lot like the same confidence that the psalmist has in his own forgiveness. Maybe you came here this morning keenly aware of your own need for salvation. Maybe you were already convinced of your position in the deep because of sin. Or maybe you came unaware of some sinfulness in your life like those characters in Scripture we looked at. Or maybe you just came here today as a favor to your mom because moms love when their kids come to church with them. Whatever your reason, you are here now you too can be given this assurance that God has indeed forgiven your sin. We too can be rescued from the deep. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for this psalm and psalms such as this one that are really meant to be prayers and that can... can, can be prayer books for the church together. And so, Lord, we have prayed this prayer to you. We have asked for you to come and save us. And we pray with confidence, knowing that you will. And so, Lord, come and save us from the deep and give us assurance of our salvation that is secure in you because of what you have done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.